Hello, everybody. Welcome in. This is the Glass City Game Time Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Christen, joined this week by Blade Sports columnist David Briggs. What's up, Briggsy? It's cold now, December. We haven't recorded in like a month, so this is a, a catch-all podcast, if you will. How's everything going? Tis the season, Corey. Great to be on. Tis the season indeed. It's, it's a good season in the sports calendar with basketball and football overlapping. In a non-COVID world, it would be jovial, right? We would be in the Christmas spirit. We'd be getting ready. We'd be celebrating holiday tournaments in college basketball. We would be excited to go to Savage Arena, to go to Stroh Center. But unfortunately, we're still here in this uh, COVID hell period that has, has dawned on us and has been around since March. And as I kind of alluded to a few seconds ago here, we haven't recorded a podcast in checking the calendar one month. There's been a few reasons behind that, namely because, uh, number one, we are still remote. I have not been in the office since March. I know you have not at all, if scarcely, have been in the office. You're shaking your head no on this Zoom call. So point is, we're not exactly coming together to do these shows. We're still doing them remote. Number two, I kind of personally needed a break, a little overload work-wise, and not that I'm complaining. But uh, it is, it's very, you know, fatigue can't set in. And I took a little vacation last week. It was nice to recharge. I think anybody that's ever taken a vacation from work will say that that vacation was too short. I digress on that. That's, I think, just being a human on that. But we do have a lot of loose ends to tie up when it comes to sports in our area here in Toledo. And from the college to the high school level, I don't want to go too deep into things. I told David before we started recording, I haven't prepared a single stat for anything. I have no notes. I, I just wanted a riff because quite frankly, like I said, uh, we haven't recorded in a month and there's a lot of stuff to kind of skim over. And we're still playing sports in a pandemic. And that's kind of the overarching gray cloud around all of this. David, we can kind of start with college football because now the college football playoff rankings are coming out. Ohio State is still a playoff contender. They're ranked number four. Here's the deal with that. It's been conspiracy theoried out into the universe, and it has put put out there by some would say one of their own in Kirk Herbstreit. We have seen this kind of make national headlines, um, and, and he he said some words basically conspiring against Ohio State, saying, "Hey, if other schools wanted to keep the Buckeyes out of the playoffs, here's what they could do." This is kind of what's going on lately. He apologized for it, so now other people are saying, "Well, hey, maybe they could do that." So. Uh, we're in an interesting dynamic when it comes to college football. And of course, UT and BG are playing in their max schedules. UT was a 500 team last year. They were kind of questionable on defense, but uh, a couple of defensive coach hirings have really brought them back. Uh, BG football is still trying to find their footing, at least with Matt McDonald now quarterback and Scott Luffler trying to bring in some more recruits. So there's a lot to skim the surface on when it comes to college football. David, but I want to start with Ohio State and, as I mentioned, Kirk Herbstreit kind of putting it into the universe that, hey, here's how you can keep Ohio State away. And it would be a little bit of a conspiracy model. But nonetheless, when you look at the games and you look at the field, the Buckeyes are just rolling. They're definitely one of the best teams in college football. And a pandemic can't change that, even though with some positives and a couple of or a game, I should say, canceled. Uh, nothing has changed when it comes to Ohio State football, it seems like. In fact, they might have even gotten better as compared to last year. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't know if they're certainly not better from last year. Last year's team was as complete of a team as I've seen in my lifetime, um, at least since the 98 team, which, which also fell short of a national title. This year's certainly some, uh, some defensive issues when you're allowing Indiana to throw for 500 yards passing um, or close to it. But um, yeah, this is absolutely, I, I believe, one of the four best teams, flawed or not, in the country. And it will be very interesting going forward what happens with this playoff debate. Ohio State is 4-0 and here. It looks like they're going to be playing at Michigan State on Saturday um, after the one-week COVID break. So that you would think that would be a win. Um, just looking now and breaking news on our podcast, it looks like Michigan – one of our friend Chris Ballas at, uh, at the Wolverine.com saying, sources saying, you know, this week's Michigan game at Maryland will be canceled, and he would bet that the next two weeks will be canceled, which would include Ohio State. And that, that gets back into the, uh, into, you know, Kurt Herbstreet's comments on the playoff selection show Tuesday night, which he said, I would, I would be willing to bet that, that Michigan's going to use the COVID as an excuse to wave the white flag to avoid getting humiliated by Ohio State. Um, I thought that was very interesting, especially someone in Kurt Herbstreit's position. You know, ESPN, he's the face of the ESPN uh, college football broadcast team. They're partners with the Big Ten. He works with Jim Harbaugh. And, you know, it's, it's very fair to, to criticize everything about Jim Harbaugh when you look at his record and, and just his, his complete failure to uh, – to get Michigan back to, you know, to where everybody thought he would be able to get it back to, but to come out and, and pretty much question the core of his character and without saying it, call him a gutless coward who doesn't want to be humiliated by Ohio State. But that was a little, little over the top. He did apologize. Um, just think you have to be careful when you're, when you're questioning motives in such a, a hazy situation with this virus. Um, you know, we don't know if, uh, I, I would assume Michigan's issues are, are very real. Um, but anyway, if, if say Ohio State gets to 5-0 and this week, beats Michigan State, can't play next week against Michigan, maybe they're able to shuffle a game because Minnesota can't play. Maybe Ohio State can play Nebraska again next week or something. But e even if they can't, I think if you get to 5-0 and now and then you play in either the Big Ten championship game, if they change the rules, they would have to lower the six-game threshold to be eligible. Or if they play like Iowa or Northwestern in, a, in one of those cross-division seeded matchups and win and look impressive. If Ohio State gets to 6-0 and with two wins over ranked teams, Indiana and, you know, either Wisconsin or Iowa or, or Northwestern in, in that final week, um, I, I do believe that would be enough. I mean, I, I know that's crazy, but – if you look at how this is probably going to play out, you look at Alabama is probably going to run the table, which would knock, which would mean they would beat um, one loss Florida in the SEC championship game. So that would knock Florida out of the race. And then I think, you know, you just have to really worry about, you know, Clemson and Notre Dame. And I, I would expect, I would expect both Clemson and Notre Dame to, to both be in the playoff there. And, you know, Clemson with Trevor Lawrence back and, and a neutral site in the ACC championship game, I would expect Clemson to, to win probably a close game over Notre Dame. So Notre Dame and Clemson would both finish with one loss. And so there are your four teams, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State. You know, all Ohio State would have to do is, you know, hold off, I guess, one loss, Texas A&M, which, which isn't even going to be in the SEC title game. And then, and then you're looking at the, the best group of five teams like Cincinnati. And, you know, maybe Cincinnati would be more deserving at, at 
playing 10 wins and going undefeated versus 6-0 Ohio State. But if your charge is to pick the four best teams, as the playoff committee's stated goal is, I don't, I don't really think that's a debate. The nightmare scenario, lastly, on this for Ohio State would be if, if Alabama loses to Florida – and Florida at 10-1 and one or whatever they would be at the end, they would for sure get in, obviously. Alabama would probably stay in. Then if you have Notre Dame lose a close game to, to Clemson, you would have all of these one-loss teams, four one-loss teams, very good resumes, and that conceivably could leave Ohio State on the outside looking in at number five. But anyway, obviously very convoluted, very crazy, um, and uh, hard to know what to make of it, but I would say odds are Ohio State is in. Oh, by the way, Ohio State has to play football games. That's the first and foremost thing is Absolutely. that if they, can't, if they can't get on the field, then all of this is kind of for naught. But you're right. For sure. You're right in the sense that we could be seeing a two SEC team, two ACC team college football playoff, which I'll sign up for. If we get a college football playoff, I'll sign up for it one way or the other. Um, but surely Ohio State, at least on paper, defensive issues, there's some. As you mentioned, I, I probably should have prefaced all of what I said with that. When you look at offenses, Ohio State's certainly one of the best in, in college football. So I think that Ohio State, first and foremost, needs to get on the field. Right. And if they can't do that, then, then you know, it's all kind of a moot point. I think it's so intriguing that we're, again, we're playing football in a pandemic, and we're trying to figure out how to play football in a pandemic in the best way, which is kind of insane to think about in even speak about in, in the first instance. It's such a realistic opportunity for Ohio State if they get in the playoff to usurp Alabama, to usurp Clemson at last since at least 2014 for the first time since then and be back on top of the mountain. It's still very realistic for Ohio State. It's just a matter of the path that they take to get there. As far as the University of Michigan, there's been plenty of conversations around Jim Harbaugh, and I think we're beating a dead horse at this point saying, well – Michigan's failing under Harbaugh. He can just go back to the NFL, the Jets, the whoever, pick a team. Evidently so, in 2020, it seems like that conversation is more relevant than ever. And Michigan's just mightily struggling in all facets of football. And that game against Penn State, at least last week, was pretty painful to watch, for me at least. Is it just Jim Harbaugh that's the issue there at Michigan, or is it more than just that? I mean, I think there are maybe some bigger picture issues of Michigan's changing place in the landscape. But above all, I mean, I do believe this is a Jim Harbaugh issue. I mean, if, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just, I just keep going back to, you know, Lloyd Carr. This wasn't the dark ages. You know, he was there and I believe his record against top 10 teams was, was 20 and seven. You know, if you bring in Harbaugh's two and 12, this is not a place where, this is not a place where you're up against it. Yeah, it's not as easy to win as Ohio State, where you have one of the most talent-rich states all to yourself as a, as a Power 5 program. It's not Alabama or, or Florida or where you're right in the middle of these lush recruiting territories. Texas, think, for example, yeah. Texas, yeah. Texas, there's no excuse. USC, there's no excuse. Michigan, there are some some outside factors here. Academics is not one of them. That is a selling point. And by the way, they're allowed to take anybody Ohio State takes. So if anyone's using Michigan's academic reputation as an excuse, that's just what it is, an excuse. But anyway, I still think Michigan is a clear top 15 job. You know, you have 
limitless resources, a powerhouse national brand, the great academics, I mean, the winged helmets, just everything. I mean, it's a, it's a great school. They should be able to recruit nationally as well as, as pretty much anybody, really. Um, so I do think this is more of a Harbaugh issue. And if this was just one outlier year and Harbaugh had the program on solid ground and maybe trending upward, you can, you can make the pandemic excuse for James Franklin. You know, the Penn State program was in a pretty good place. Then it just completely falls off the map this year for a number of different reasons. Harbaugh is a little different because, you know, ever since 2016, when they didn't get the spot, JT Barrett, um, when they lost that game against Ohio State, it's kind of been a steady downhill regression from there you know 2017 bad year 2018 they have a you know they have a little bit of a resurgence then get their doors blown off when it counts late in the year against Ohio State and the bowl game and then last year obviously bad year and then this year it's just continuing the trends to an extreme level you know before the issue was can't really beat the big can't really beat the good teams two and 12 against top 10 teams can't get over the hump what are they doing with their recruiting strategy? I don't really know what the, the goal is here. It just seemed very stagnant. Now it's gone from regressing to just completely falling off the face of the earth. And I think the, everything is broken about the Michigan program right now. And I do think it's time for a, a fresh start. The only thing that may be able to save Harbaugh is that, is, uh, you know, you, you, maybe you don't want to hire the coach, a new coach in the middle of a, a pandemic. I think there are some issues with, you know, hitting the ground running and the momentum, but around the country, we've kind of seen a, a number of firings here, which, which make uh, a lot of us thought, you know, the pandemic people would use a little more, a little more restraint and, you know, the optics of paying somebody millions of dollars to go away wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be great, but we're seeing uh, Harbaugh only has a $6 million buyout for the last year of his deal. And if, um, I mean, it's, it's obviously time to move on. It's just a matter of when at this point. Or how they do it, the process in which do they fire him? Does he just walk away? Do they mutually air quotes split or whatever the whatever the terminology is nowadays? There's so many of them. It's it's just you know we're done here. That's that's the whole deal is we're done here. That it's kind of a we surrender. I can't pinpoint one spot at least from. I'm not a Michigan fan. I didn't grow up a Michigan fan. I grew up an observer. I, I know the talent that Michigan brings in. Obviously, working here in Toledo, we're, we cover it very, very aggressively, which is great. But I can't pinpoint, aside from Jim Harbaugh's issues, what is wrong with this team that's not stemming from Jim Harbaugh or that coaching staff, for that matter. It's kind of, I think he's like the nexus, and then I'm, I'm doing like a Pepe Sylvia, uh, <laughs> it's always sunny scene here with like my board, and it's like, Everything goes back, everything funnels back to Jim Harbaugh some way or another, whether it's offensive struggles and he's a quote-unquote quarterback guru that, by the way, hasn't brought in a steady passer in his tenure at Michigan. Well, so, that's so that failed. That's the start of that. That's, that's like overarching. In addition to him obviously being an alumnus and a successful coach elsewhere, obviously Stanford, obviously the 49ers. He's a quarterback guru that hasn't done – Jack at that position since he got to Michigan. Second of all, the coaching staff that he's hired has done a subpar job. Let's leave it at that. It's a cornucopia of different things. And again, the nexus, the star on top of the tree is Jim Harbaugh. You like my Christmas reference there. I know you did. It's such a weird thing to me because I grew up and Michigan football was always what ready to punch you in the mouth. They were always a top 10, 15 team. They were always ushering in talent from all corners of the country, by the way, including Ohio. 
Ryan Day, Urban Meyer, late Jim Trestle years, were pulling in more Ohio recruits than ever. They started to kind of pluck all of those kids that started to go to Michigan. They plucked them back down and brought them, brought them home. So it, it's, it's so alarming to me how Jim Harbaugh has failed at a lot of different aspects of being a college football coach, recruiting, game management, coaching staff. There's been a lot of failure there. So, yeah, like you said, it's just it feels inevitable at this rate. And the conversations that have been in the past, especially I would say last year, where it was, okay, they could replace him, but with who? Or who's going to do a better job than he is? Well, it's kind of evident now that quite a lot of people probably could do a better job than he is. So I'm not, I'm not saying I would. I can't put myself ever in a uh, professional, professional coach or a uh, professional football player's shoes or, or a uh, – you, you hire the right staff. You could do better than this. Yeah, I, I've seen – and I've seen it. You know, we've seen it, I should say. Um, we've seen it where there are rookie coaches or novice coaches or coaches that kind of start anew somewhere, and they retain a lot of veteran presences that know how the program operates, that know how the program goes. And just looking at all of this stuff that have kind of bundled up into the Jim Harbaugh era, and this is definitely nothing like we've seen before. So that is uh, very glaring at this point, and it's almost inexcusable. The last two college football teams to cover. I want to start with Bowling Green, and we don't have to go too far into this because at this point we know what Bowling Green is. They're a rebuilding program under Scott Loeffler. They have a new quarterback. They have all kinds of freshmen and sophomores. They're a very young team that's kind of trying to put it together. You've seen them play. Do you feel that they're at least taking steps forward as compared to last year? I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I think this year has been every bit as bad as last year, maybe even worse in some ways. I mean, and Leffler knew this going in that, you know, year two is, is probably going to be even worse. You know, they're, you look at their roster, it's 60% of the team has freshman eligibility. I and mean, that's completely insane. I don't, I don't even know where to begin there. Um, the jury for sure is still out on Scott Leffler. Obviously, none of us know if, if he's going to work out. But I will say I'm, I'm continue to be impressed by the quote-unquote process and, the, and just kind of the thinking behind how they are going to rebuild this program with, you know, they had a very good 2020 recruiting class. He's back recruiting within the Ohio radius and, you know, four hours in every direction. And there's just a rhyme or reason to what they're doing now not really taking junior college transfers left and right to piecemeal together a roster. They're just building from within, getting area high school players, regional high school players, and very good ones too. I mean, if you look at the, if you look at some of these guys, and I do think they are going to steadily build this into a winner and a realistic time frame would be very bad again next year competing probably hope, hopefully for their sake making a bowl in year four which would be 2022 and then competing for a MAC title in, in 2023 that's all that's kind of the same blueprint that Dave Clawson who's now at Wake Forest um, had at Bowling Green when he was here you know he came in in I believe 2009 and he had some he was set up to have a decent first year with some great Brandon's holdover players they have a winning season but then the bottom falls out. I think they went 7 and 17 years 2 and 3 and he built it the same way. Um, regional high school kids, four-year players, you just kind of steadily develop these guys uh, over time and it eventually pays off and you got he uh, I think he went 8 and 4 in year 4, won the MAC title in year 5, got the uh, got the Wake Forest job and left a great foundation for the next coach Dino Babers, your boy at Syracuse. Oh boy. 
Oh, boy. And, um, and so Dino, Dino's kind of fly by night. Be doesn't nice. Really, he doesn't really <laughs> put much effort into recruiting, just very much an opportunist, comes in, wins, leaves the cupboard bare for Mike Jinks. Mike Jinks leaves the cupboard even more bare for, uh, for, uh, for Scott Luffler. And what we have now is just obviously a complete, utter, full-blown disaster of a roster that is steadily going back in the right direction. So all that is said, they're still terrible now. They were terrible last year. They'll probably be terrible again next year, but the program is going in the right direction. And I do believe in Scott Leffler and his approach. I'm holding this up to the, to the screen on Zoom. You uh, see that right there? Oh, uh, yeah, Syracuse, Clemson. <laughs> you say Dino Babers. The Kelly Bryant game. You say Dino Babers. I, I say Syracuse 27, Clemson 24. <laughs> what are they, 2-8 and eight this year? worse it doesn't feel like it it doesn't feel like it but you were very you were very courteous about Dino Babers I will say that at least they gave him an extension they did um they did that was (laughs) that's an event in history that happened I personally like Dino Babers I I went to college with his daughter great guy great family not much to be said about him as a football coach right now but great guy great family I'll leave it at that by the way uh talking about Scott Loeffler and what he's doing at Bowling Green it is a foundational thing, and he's been very open about it, which I think is refreshing, at least from a reporter's perspective, and even someone I could say from a fan's perspective, is that when your head coach is that refreshing about the state of the program and saying, hey, I'll paraphrase, we have a lot of work to do to build a winner, and it's not going to happen overnight. Rome isn't built in one day. And Scott Luffler is saying, I need the time, and he, he said this when he signed, I need the time to recruit. I need the time to build. I need the time to gather players to make this a relevant football program again. There's baby steps that he's taking to doing that, and it's very visible. And he's landing some good recruits. I mean, for example, Perrysburg, Blade Player of the Year in 2020, Cape Zimmerly, going to Perrysburg, or going to, excuse me, Bowling Green. He announced that, and that's a good get. Those those kind of gets, Scott Luffler is starting to kind of show glimpses of, and I think our, our colleague Nick Petrovich has written about this, and I'm paraphrasing again here, is that the on-the-field result and the in-the-office, in-the-weight-room, in-the-practice-facility result needs to be different, and it can be different, and it's okay that it is different. So what happens beyond behind closed doors is a different conversation, I would think, than what's being put onto the field. Looking at, last but certainly not least, the University of Toledo, 6-6 six and six last year, Atrocious defense, bottom 10 in FBS, completely just awful. They bring in Vince Karras. They bring in Craig Kuligowski, two very good defensive coaches. Obviously, Karras' success at Mount Union has been well-documented, but this team has turned at least that aspect of their game around, and Toledo seems at least like a competent defensive team. However, on offense, they're still kind of – I don't want to say finding their footing because we know what they can do as far as a running game with Kobach and Seymour. What does University of Toledo need to do? I don't think they can statistically win the MAC. I haven't caught up on stats or anything like that because uh, Western Michigan's so far out there and Caleb Ellaby's playing at a whole nother level in this conference. But as far as the Rockets and their football program as compared to last year, I think we can look at that in a vacuum to say, yeah, they're a much more better improved defensive team, and that's at minimum what they needed to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Toledo Toledo's a very interesting team, and it's an interesting place for the program is that it's something of a crossroads. 
know, Toledo's done a lot of really good things this year. I mean, it's a good, it's a good football team. They, uh, you know, Eli Peters has, has shown he's a pretty solid quarterback. The defense has taken huge steps with um, Vince Karras and, um, and Craig Kuligowski, who, I mean, I remember covering him in Missouri, you know, years ago, and he was regarded as one of the top defensive line coaches in the country, sending out, you know, first round off defensive linemen one after another, then went to Miami and Alabama. And, you know, he was one of the bi biggest assistant, assistant coaches in the country, mm -hmm. uh, biggest names. And so that combination, along with the other coaches, have done a, a very good job of kind of stabilizing the defense. And I think that's a – with nine starters coming back on defense, um, I would expect the defense to be very strong next year. Um, for, for three quarters of this season, Toledo has looked as good as any team in the MAC. You know, they dominated against Bowling Green. They dominated against Eastern Michigan. And I know Eastern Michigan is winless, but they've been in every game other than the Toledo one. Um, Western Michigan, which is probably the league front runner right now, you know, Toledo dominated that game for the first 57 minutes, almost mm -hmm. doubled the time of possession before that, just complete, um, you know, almost unexplainable collapse there, um, where pretty much everything that could go wrong went wrong. Um, and, uh, and then obviously no excuse for how flat they came out against Ball State on, um, on Saturday, uh, just a terrible first half, and you know credit the credit the team for fighting back, but just a, a terrible start. And um, and uh, anyway, you know a lot to like about this Toledo team. And you just say all these positive things, and at the end of the day, you know they're still two and two. And you look back since the Rockets won the MAC title, since they beat Akron and Detroit in 2017, the program was 15 and 15. And you start to wonder, you know, what's going on? And when are we going to see the, uh, you know, the, the Toledo football program that, you know, fans want to see and, and expect given the, the continuity of the staff and, and Jason Candle, who I think is a, a very good coach. Um, I just, it, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, as I wrote again Saturday, I've, I've, I consider Toledo the best job in the MAC. You know, it, the program has it all. The, the location, the fan support usually lead the MAC in attendance. They spend more money on football than any program in the MAC. I think it was $11.7 million, according to the federal records last year. Um, great facilities. There's no reason why, you know, mid-major football's obviously different. You know, there's inherent cycles and ups and downs, and you're not going to be like Ohio State just mowing through everyone every year. But 15 and 15, no matter what the excuses are, and there are valid reasons for what happened the last couple of years, and like we said, you know, they're a couple minutes away from, from being right there this year. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it's probably not – acceptable and you know Toledo needs to take a big step forward next year I mean this can't be just an ordinary program for a four-year stretch so I think I think the foundation absolutely is there for them to take a big step forward now they just have to do it or uh you know we'll probably be having a different conversation next year must have been something in the water that day in Detroit because uh much to be desired about the Akron football program right now I would say that Right. And now and now fans who have completely turned on the program are pointing out, oh, well, wow, you beat Akron for your MAC title. Does that even count? <laughs> but no, I mean, that was a, it was a candle had Jason Candle had two great years to start off. I ran into the Western Michigan buzzsaw in 2016 that no one was beating. Then we were the best team in the MAC in 2017. And, and, um, um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's time to get that back, and um, I, I know that's that's where they expect to be, and and that's where this program can be. Now we just have to see it.
that's a that's a nice little way to kind of wrap up our our skim the surface mile wide and inch deep uh, college football roundup for this week's podcast. Uh, we're reading and we're seeing what's going on around us, and you know counties and states starting to slowly close back down and. Who knows what's going to happen here in the Toledo area by the time this podcast, shoot, by the time I edit this podcast later. You wrote about it uh, a few days ago in a column about the high school sports scene still going on during the pandemic. And Lucas County has basically said no activity, no game, no practice in our county. And some schools are trying to circumvent that. And it's a very real issue that I think should be discussed. And maybe I could have discussed it off the top, but there's not much that's left to be said that you've already written about or spoken about yourself. And certainly we have seen, we, we see people give their opinions on it and it's kind of all over the spectrum, just as just about anything throughout this pandemic. Where do we go from here? Like we're still playing sports in a pandemic, dude. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going on in closed doors. I haven't been to practices. I haven't been to any high school sporting events, but it's just such a weird thing to kind of, at least in, the sense of an administration point of view where some schools are going remote. Some schools are doing the distance learning. So some, some schools are not in the classrooms at all and they're still having athletics. I don't know. And it's not just here in Toledo, by the way, it's, it's really across the state of Ohio. It's in Michigan. It's back where I'm from in Pennsylvania. They're still doing it. What's your like overarching thoughts on all of this? Because I, I definitely have real thoughts about it that I wanted to share, but what are your thoughts that you, you know, you conveyed in the column and, and what are your thoughts just kind of outside of it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously the, the biggest sports debate, certainly in our area and, and everywhere, really. Um, you know, it's it's amazing the passion that high school sports stirs. Um, and I get it. I mean, we all we all want to play. I mean, I played high school sports. I can't imagine having, you know, losing my high school basketball season or, or that kind of thing or, or even, you know, a big chunk of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the way it's kind of revealed our priorities has been the one thing that's I don't know maybe it shouldn't be surprising at all. It's um, it, it's just been like you said, you know, there's a lot of districts before Lucas County shut down everything last week, um, shut down the schools, shut down athletics, tried to at least. Obviously, St. John's is is flouting the spirit of that order, as we can talk about. But it's you know before that happened, you know, there a lot of schools were closing down, saying it's not even safe to, or not okay, not safe, whatever, maybe you have shortages of teachers, whatever the reason, but it's not okay for students to wear a mask and be socially distanced in school for the core part of the educational experience, which is in-person instruction. It's not okay to come into school even two days a week in a pretty controlled setting, but it's completely okay to play sports, which, you know, wrestling and basketball and very close contact sports that breathing that we, and sweating and just, right, just right. It, and it, it germs everywhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, that's true. one thing. One thing I would say is, you know, people say there's, there's no evidence of spread from in sports. I mean, which, which might be true, but I would say that, you know, when you're not testing, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to ask why are the big outbreaks only happening with pro teams and college teams that are testing every day. It's because they're testing every day. I mean, ignorance is bliss at the high school level. I'm sure there's a lot of people who have- At any level. Sorry, at any level, ignorance is bliss, by the way. Right, right. I mean, it's just, which is, and obviously, you know, gotten through it mostly successfully. And, you know, kids aren't at risk, um, you know, to develop, you know, 
the bad effects of COVID statistically on the whole. So there are certainly arguments in both directions, but I would just say, just generally speaking in society, when you see Lucas County kind of put that order down as we're trend, obviously as the virus is exploding, Lucas County um, issues the mandate that's saying, you know, schools in the area can't use their athletic facility or can't use their facilities for athletics, which, pretty much all they can say. I don't think they can, I don't think they have the, uh, the legal right to shut everything down, but they're using, they're saying you can't use your facilities. That's basically saying, Hey, let's shut it down for a minute. Let's all get together, pause, sacrifice for the greater good. And let's all pull together. And I think just kind of what St. John's is doing, I completely understand, you know, the desire to play. It's a, it's a great emotional mental outlet for these kids. St. John's, no doubt, has the best interest of their kids at heart. They think they have a safe plan. They probably do have a pretty safe plan. Um, but it's just frustrating when you, you, know, you have the medical professionals saying, let's do this thing. And then you're saying, no, we think we should do this thing. It's like, it, it just shows no one can ever pull together to fight anything, whether it's the virus or something else. Everybody has to go in their own directions. Everybody has to fight everything depending on, you know, your beliefs on the situation, but it's just a hard situation, but it's just, you know, I can, I don't know. It's just, it's complicated. <laughs> well, I mean, all of it is. I've kind of battled back and forth with this too, because I play high school sports. I've coached high school sports before. And I know people that, you know, aside from people that I work around covering high school athletics, I personally know people that are coaching, for example, high school football. There's people that know what the common good is and what the greater good is, and it's well-defined what it is. But at the same time, there's that fighting, that desire to get onto the field, to get onto the court, to get onto the whatever it is, to keep playing, because that's the spirit of competition. That's the spirit of athletics. That's why all of these, all these kids and all these coaches got into high school athletics. So you're fighting forces here. You're fighting incredible forces here, actually. The, the forces of the greater good and the forces of – the, the sake of competition in athletics. I'm thankful I'm not in that position to fight that battle, but I understand both sides of it. I, however, am siding on the side of science here to say we're seeing outbreaks in every corner of the country, every nook and cranny of the country. There are still big events being held. There are still congregations being held for one reason or another, and society does not want to pause to try to get this virus in check. There was an opportunity to do that in the summer. Nobody wanted to do it. There was an opportunity to do it in the fall. Nobody wanted to do it. There's an opportunity now. Nobody wants to do it. So I don't know if this is a government or politics issue that we, we are tackling at the surface. I don't know if this is a, dare I say, Washington problem to tackle on the surface, but it's a problem somewhere. My fear is that this is going to snowball into such a phenomena that it's going to be an unstoppable thing. It feels unstoppable already, but it's truly scientifically going to be an unstoppable thing until a vaccine hard walls it. And I think that's what some people are trying to do. I know of people personally that are kind of getting lazy on some stuff and they're like, well, the vaccine's on its way. Can't really put off, well, the vaccine is on its way as your excuse to do something now. This is me kind of on the soapbox now. And look, I'm fully willing to, to have conversations with people about this very realistic issue. It's an issue that extends beyond athletics. 
It's an issue that's affecting our society in, in many angles and many ways. It's, it's affecting a lot of us mentally, certainly uh, economically, socially, some of us physically. It's such a issue that needs to be tackled head on. And it's very clear that a lot of people don't want to do that. When it comes to athletics, no, the science isn't there to say that athletes who sweat, spit, uh, run, breathe in the same oxygen, in the same space for an hour or two or three, that they directly transmit the virus that way. But we're seeing it with, with the NFL and with college football because, like you said, they're testing. They're getting tested every day, every other day, every few days, whatever it is. And that's where we're seeing these positives is because they're testing. Look at the Denver Broncos in the last couple of weeks, right? Quarterback room, they're all getting tested. They figure, out ah, everybody's negative. It's fine. One quarterback, Jeff Driscoll, former Detroit Lion, by the way, test positive. And the other three quarterbacks don't have masks on around them. So what happens? The Broncos have to play the Saints without a quarterback. It just goes to show how great the domino effect actually is when it comes to this and how severe it can be if we let it get that way. We're working through such a, a – the word gets thrown around a lot. It's truly unprecedented. It's truly unique. It's once in a century. It's just something that we need to take head on. And I, I, I feel that way, and I hope other people share that sentiment with me. But we haven't recorded in about a month or so, and, and part of the reason of that is because of – you know, some fatigue. Some of it is because there's been stuff to talk about, but it's also just because there isn't. And it's much of the same stuff. It's playing sports in a pandemic. So we're still working through that. We're still trying to figure out how to get past that. And people are planning for 2021, but that virus isn't going to magically disappear on January 1st. I'm sorry. It just isn't. So David, do you have any like final thoughts, any outside thoughts? What are you doing? What are you, what are you cooking? What are you eating? What are you doing now with, uh, (laughs) With your life in this past month, uh, no, nothing too exciting. Been going out to been going out to a few games. You know, went to went to Ohio State's opener uh, against uh, Nebraska just to kind of see the eerie emptiness of the scene. Uh, went been going to Toledo football games, but mostly you know just kind of staying in, trying to trying to be as smart as possible. You know, we're fortunate to have jobs that you know are on the front lines to, yeah. to where we where we ha- or have businesses to where we you know we feel we have to be. Um, out there so yeah just kind of with you just kind of just kind of hanging in there wishing everyone the best and uh, we'll see if we can get this slog of a football season to the finish line that's the number one thing is just safety what can we do to stay safe and you know number one thing what can we do to finish this football season (laughs) whose voice are you speaking that out of that's not I know that's not David Briggs talking I don't know who's talking there but I know that's not David Briggs I didn't travel for Thanksgiving. I stayed here in Sylvania where I live. I don't plan to travel for Christmas. No gift exchanges. Santa has to find his way to my apartment out here. Um, but we get it. We get it. You voted for Hillary. Mm, <laughs> you're going far back now. That's, that's, that's the last election. God, this election. I don't want to talk too much politics, but holy crap, are we still doing this? Uh, A month later, we're still doing this? I, I don't know. Uh, I thought I thought it was over. I thought it was over a, a couple of weeks ago, but apparently it's not. But uh, we're we're in a very interesting part of our world right now. COVID aside, by the way, right. COVID aside, we're just in a completely uh, different stratosphere. It feels like with a lot of stuff, and uh, you know, the society's got to keep moving and find a way. Like I said, please do it as safely as possible. 
I think that wraps things up for this week. We, we had to go about a mile wide and an inch deep on a lot of sports stuff just to kind of recap what's going on. And, and obviously, college basketball is back now with uh, Bowling Green looking to be a MAC contender. And, you know, Toledo's still rolling with Todd Kowalczyk. And who knows what's going to happen in the MAC this year. I mean, we left last year in a state that uh, Toledo and Bowling Green were getting set to play a MAC tournament game. And who knows what would have happened there. So, should be an interesting college basketball season. David, we'll catch up. Uh, later on as the season progresses and uh, like we've been talking about stay safe out there you too sounds great you got it you got it those of you listening in please stay safe as well thank you for listening check us out each week on toledoblade.com on blade news slide and where podcasts are found apple podcast google play and spotify for david briggs my name is Corey christen we'll talk to you soon